Here we are. Here let, we me, let me do that one again. <laughs> so it's always awkward because you just have to start and have this energy, this weird say, energy that doesn't it. exist. Don't have the energy. Just say you're specifically where you are. Just specific, be specific. So here we are, another week, another edition of the Grub Street Podcast. Today we are sitting in Fung Tu Restaurant. We are kind of on the northern, eastern outskirts of Chinatown a little bit. At this restaurant, it's about two and a half years old. They specialize in what kind of cuisine would you say, Adam? Feng Tu uh, is a new age Chinese restaurant in New York. You know, it's, it's sort of broken out of the old uh, dim sum, uh, you know, uh, char shu, lap sop uh, sort of... Uh, Whirlpool, and it's a um, young uh, Chinese-American chef, young Chinese-American owner, and uh, they're really doing sort of, I, I guess we call it progressive Chinese food. So Progressive we, Chinese we, food. We in New York are used to sort of the classic Chinatown experience, which I'm on record as saying is over the years grown somewhat stale, uh, dim sum. You called it the myth of Chinatown. Well, at least, at least in New York, the myth of Chinatown, yeah. And that yeah. myth is that... There's this great plethora of incredible food when the reality, you've said, is that some of these places well, are maybe resting on their laurels a little yeah, bit. Yeah, not even laurels. I mean, you know, Chinatown, well, there, there are several Chinatowns in New York. You know, there, you know right. there's the classic one in Manhattan, downtown Manhattan. There's one in Flushing. There's one in Brooklyn, Sunset Park. Uh, generally, these Chinatowns really cater to either tourists uh, or they cater to the, the local population, which wants a certain kind of food. And um, the restaurants have been around a long time, but the kitchens are traditionally quite transient. People come mm-hmm. in and out, in and out, in and out. You know, you don't have this rooted, sort of vibrant, really... It's, it's not the kind of Chinese cooking you'd find in the suburbs of L.A., for instance. Places where, where they're a little more... The, the communities are a little less transient. And it's sort of got... You're right. It's gotten tired. Uh, it's the same old dim sum, dumplings, oily duck, and uh, noodles. And it's all good, but it's... I've grown a little tired of it. But Feng Tu is a, a, a consistently interesting restaurant. They do all these interesting riffs on... The old classics that um, both the chef and the owner grew up with. So it's it's sort of a great example of this new style of Chinese cooking. And it is one of several places you have identified in the past as kind of doing this, right? There's Red Farm, there's La Chine in the Waldorf Astoria, which is a much more luxurious version of this, but there are... I think you could call it officially a trend. A movement. It's a trend. I don't know if it's a movement, but it's a trend. Progressive Chinese, the trend. Progressive Chinese. So here we are at Feng Tu, and we're going to meet um, both the chef and the owner, and we're going to sample some of their delicious food, and we're going to talk about it. Although I'm on a a diet, so I'm not going to eat very much. Yeah, Really? You haven't mentioned that in the last three weeks? Have I mentioned that I'm on a diet? Only every minute of every day. That's no fun, really. Wilson. Hi. Wilson Tang sitting down with us. You are one of the partners of this restaurant. You have been open for about two and a half years, right? Correct. Um, What was it? I think the thing that I'm interested in, because I know we've kind of identified this as a trend, but I know chefs and owners are, they always hate to talk about trends. So for you, what was it about, you know, that time, this idea that made you think that it was like a viable business? It was the right time to open a progressive Chinese restaurant. 
I, I, you know, for, for, for me personally, um, it was trying to, to have a foot in two worlds. I come from a very traditional, traditional uh, Cantonese background, mm-hmm. um, and that's been in my family for for decades. Um, you grew up in Chinatown. Right? I did. What, what I did. You were born. Elmhurst, actually, Elmhurst Hospital. Um, it was funny um, growing up. My parents bought a house in Queens because they had this idea of wanting me not to grow up in in Chinatown, but everything evolved around Chinatown. Like my dad's businesses, uh, my uncle Wally's restaurant. Um, you know, even my my mom when she first came to the U.S., she worked in Chinatown because that was the hub for for us immigrants. You know, and you're they were from Canton, Canton via Hong Kong, yeah, via Hong Kong. Yeah. So, so you also own like one of the oldest it might be the oldest one of the oldest dim sum parlors in the city your family has owned it and you took it over a few years ago yes it is the oldest dim sum restaurant in chinatown uh it's been in my family for over 50 years and uh, i've been running it since 2011 well this is a namwati parlor yeah, right this is namwati parlor, namwati parlor is yes. on ba- ba- bears is it a baird street on doyer street on doyer street which is the famous it's called the angle it's yeah a, the bloody angle if you're a tourist yeah. it's this beautiful this little angular little tiny and it's where the gangs used to fight each other which is why it's yes, called the bloody yes. angle and the namati parlor is the oldest, right, the oldest restaurant there it's right, right smack, smack in, in the middle there. yeah and i remember going there you probably went there in the 80s and it, it was really a tea parlor which sold old tea cakes and there were these old you know these uh you know chinese couples sipping their tea and and, and you know eating these these tea cakes very traditional very Simple, and you took it over and turned it into a little. I, I would. I, it's it's sort of a classic, more of a classic uh, dim sum parlor now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of these iconic New York locations um, where where nothing has changed much. And you know, back in 2011, when when my uncle asked me if I wanted to take over the place, um, you know, he offered me all these different ideas. Like, oh, we can make it like modern and like fancy i'm like wait but this place looks amazing just the way it is you know i don't want to change anything i'm just going to run it like this because this is how i grew up you know this is what my memories are you know the only things i really did change were um just the hours that we're serving you know i always thought of dim sum as like tapas you know and you should be able to have it all day long and even into the evening um, you should have a glass of wine or like a beer, um, and uh, it's these little cute little pockets of of, of treats. You know, is, is really what dim sum means. So um, not anything crazy for me, but the dining world or or our fans really really enjoyed coming having dim sum for dinner, and that was my whole strategy. You know, have a you know a, a menu that looks like a diner and have all the stuff on the on the menu, and you check it off a sheet. Everything is made fresh. It's made when you order it. It's not on a cart. Okay, so that's Namwa. Talk to me about Funk 2. What was the audience for this when you decided to open it? You said you wanted to straddle two worlds, but you're like, okay, we're going to go in on a pretty ambitious, pretty like forward-thinking Chinese restaurant. And there wasn't really a lot to indicate that it was going to be a success when you opened. Like, what? I mean, what was the thought? Well, you know, it was it was a lot of things. It was it was meeting the right people at the right time. You know, I've been thinking about this uh, foot in two worlds kind of um, scenario. Hey, I've got the oldest them something traditional classic would be cool to do something like new school um new, there was two different people that told me it was a must to meet jonathan so uh two years ago or three years ago we met and um he was running some pop-ups um 
I thought they were delicious. Um, the ingredients that he used speaks to me. Uh, a lot of just things, those food memories I remember, all the flavors, all the, all the different Chinese ingredients. Such that, as? You know, five spice, ginger, scallops, scar- uh, you know, uh, uh, scallions, um, fermented bean curd, the, um, you know, the, the, the fish sauces, all, all of that stuff was resonating with me because it reminded me of, of growing up. And so here's our chef. Tell us your name. <laughs> Jonathan Wu. So Jonathan, where'd you grow up? I was born in the Bronx, and when I was five years old, the family moved to suburban Hartford, Connecticut. What did you eat at home growing up in Connecticut? I ate a, an eclectic variety of things. Your parents from Canton? Are they from, where are they from? From all over. My mother was born in Taiwan. Um, her, but her parents are from Wuxi, uh-huh. Shanghai area, right. and um, my father's father was born in Beijing, um, and my father, father's mother was born in uh, Wuhan. Th- those regions of China all have different kinds of comfort foods, different kinds of uh, home cooking, so yeah. you must, if your mother or your father was a cook, there was probably a, a you know, you, you probably sampled a wide variety of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was definitely eclectic in terms of um, some nights my mom would make a beef stir fry. Um, it would often be romaine lettuce as the vegetable component because that's what was available. Um, the closest supermarket was Stop and Shop, so that was the weekly run. And then maybe twice a month, the whole family would go to the Asian market, which was a little further away, and we would stock up on things like century eggs and preserved mustard greens and. Uh, meat floss, um, all the uh, meat floss. Meat floss. Did you, yeah. you get much of that, uh, Admiral, when you're growing up? Yeah, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> actually, we had a lot of meat actually, floss. Actually, you know, uh, uh, century eggs are a thousand year old egg, right. hundred year old eggs. We used to call them, for some reason, because I, I actually, as a kid, grew up in Taiwan. I spent two years in Taiwan and five years in Hong Kong because my father was a diplomat and he was assigned to these places. Mm-hmm. So, in those days, we had a, a, a Mandarin cook who came from. Jiangsu somewhere. But anyway, he, but he was—he also cooked northern Chinese food, and he mm. cooked this dumplings mm. and this wonderful dish called bombs on Moscow, which was crispy rice. I think you have a version of it, crispy rice, where you pour this red sauce on it. This is during the Cold War, and it made this crackling sound. They used to take us on the weekends uh, for Mongolian barbecue, and this was a, again a Mongolian barbecue restaurant out on the rice paddies. We'd go out. And you'd it'd be dusk, and Mongolian barbecue is uh, you such you take all this marinated meat and you cook it on a, a, a hot curved brazier, and then you stuff it in the sesame bun, right? So it's a it's a fresh cooked sesame bun with layers, usually with sesame seeds on top. And it's sort of like it's sort of a bit of a hamburger, really. Mm-hmm. And now you if you get Mongolian barbecue at all, the meat's frozen and the bun's packaged. But in those days, it was all as you're saying, made fresh. Mm-hmm. And so we just eat this sort of crumbly, delicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what we would do is that we'd uh, have the, the fireworks everywhere, so we'd shoot these little kids, we'd shoot these bottle rockets over the rice paddies from the empty beer bottles and Coke bottles. Mm. Oh. Fireworks over the rice paddies. It's my last one. You can't bring it back. It's title that, of your memoir. That'll be a, memoir? What memoir? That's a really similar story in terms of um, I have no formal training in Chinese cooking, um, and it has to do with um, those memories, those flavor memories. It's in the genes. Yeah, that, so you, but you've worked at you've worked at a lot of fancy uh, uh, restaurants. Yeah, Why don't you tell us a little about fancy it? places. Um, I spent close to two years at Per Se in uh, 2005 and 2006, um, and that was a pivotal experience in that I was exposed to a lot of ingredients based on the menu format, it changing 
essentially daily and there was no repetition of star ingredient. That was the first time I worked with sunchokes, uh, first time I worked with pibayes, the little eels. Sunchokes, God help us. <laughs> we, but, live, we live in the sunchoke age, so it's all, yeah. it's all good. Anyway, so you learned all about seasonal and that's yeah. a great technique. And exactly. But like a lot of young chefs, you came back to your origins. Right, and this is a classic thing. You know, yeah, I mean, I think it, we, we you see it a lot. You see chefs coming out of these fine dining temples, like per se, like Mario Batali's restaurants, like La Bernardin, and they apply kind of what they've learned. I think before, what chefs would do is they work their way up the brigade. Right, they would become executive chef, learn how to run the kitchen, then go open their own place. And now, a lot of what at, they're doing yeah. is the places that they're opening are not other fine dining places, but they are these sort of more stripped down casual spots but they're still applying the same techniques and thoughts and processes to it in a right. more casual setting so, and doing these so, awesome things right. so we have a, 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 a wonderful looking meal here the first thing that i want to try before it gets uh, cold and greasy and sort of oleaginous and not edible are these delicious looking egg rolls which aren't really egg rolls in the old sense, although you use the, you, you use the egg roll skin, but they're stuffed with all sorts of strange stuff. And also the dipping sauce is not your usual sort of, you know, plum sauce? irradiated, <laughs> you know, yellow, you know, orangey, whatever. So why don't you tell us about these? So the Admiral. egg roll is an homage to Namwa. Wilson and I sat down at Namwa one day and he asked me, he was like, hey, you know, why don't we taste through the menu? And if something interests you, you know, would you consider updating it or, or putting a, putting your own thoughts on it? So I, I had the original egg roll, um, which is his Uncle Wally's invention. Uncle Wally. So right, this, right, uncle, right, this is right, Uncle right. Wally's his, his, uh, his original version. recipe, which yes. you guys have supercharged. So what's it? It's got pork belly in it. It has pork belly. Which is the, 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 the great uh, millennial comfort food. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, pork belly that's rubbed with um, Western Chinese spices, cumin, coriander, chili, aniseed. There's ginger powder, garlic powder, brown sugar. You're not sugar. getting that in your usual Chinatown noodle joint. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, yeah I, and then, so there's the pork belly and then two kinds of olives, Pichelin olives and Nisoise olives. Two kinds of olives, Admiral? You're not getting Pichelin olives. Then. You're not getting those uptown, really, most places. But this, So this is really, I mean, it's like, you're talking about fine dining dish. If you were at a restaurant like Persane, and you had the olives and pork belly, I mean, that's something that you would see, you know, be presented beautifully, but then here it's turned into something And else. the dipping sauce is? Citrus mayonnaise. So fat on fat. This is the one rare exception where I go all April Bloomfield and I'm like, it's like a chiller. And also this dish, it should be said that to be a successful restaurant these days, you really need a dish that's sort of a signature dish that people will come back for. And this is, I think it's fair to say your signature dish. It was glommed on to by food writers very quickly, publicized, hyped on the internet. One of the few dishes that's worthy of the hype, I'd say. And, uh, it's, I think it's a great dish, although you really can only eat, I think, a quarter of one of these every six months. Pretty rich, agree. I, we wanted to, I wanted it to be craveable. That's really important to us. Uh, tasty and just, just straight up delicious. That's important. It is indicative of the style here because, so the question, Pichelin olives and Nisoise olives, why in Chinese food? Um, that, that goes back to childhood. Um, that goes back to my mother snacking on Chinese olives that were flavored either with chili or with star anise. And then upon further research, uh, because I, I thought about that, and as you mentioned, 
pork and olives is something I saw a lot, and that was that was some, you know we ran sort of sets like that at per se, and um, you know I thought about olives because I love them, I've grown to love them, and you know it's like oh my mother used to snack on them, and it so it really is a Proustian package for you. Yeah, that's right. that's my Madeline. I and suppose. it's delicious. It has it has the pork. It has the the tanginess of the you know the olives and sort of the fatty pork, sort of meaty back taste of pork, and then all in this sort of crunchy, beautiful, eggy uh, package. And then you dip it in the mayonnaise, and it's like, pow. So let's move on to number two. This this is your uh, classic uh, chow fun flat noodles, Cantonese dish. Mm-hmm. Again, usually if you order it down in Chinatown, it's got all sorts of random, very cheap ingredients in it. But here, as opposed to the usual. You know, shreds of denatured chicken and, uh, you know, <laughs> bogus wood mushrooms and, you know, Chinese sausages. That's how you, you keep have... it's five ninety five. Well, here, <laughs> that's, or, or, or cheaper, but here in I'm the... seeing not random, not cheap ingredients in this particular makeup. Yeah, Let's in this try case, some. yeah. In fact, the first thing you did when the dish came out was Instagram it, oh, I noticed. So good. Let the record show that a Feng Tu, the chopsticks are silver. <laughs> well, you know, the interesting thing about this is, you know, this 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 particular dish speaks to me a lot because this is a traditional Cantonese dish, you know, that you get with sliced beef or um, with chicken, you know. But like, you know, with, with what you said, like the woodier mushrooms and maybe uh, bamboo shoots, mm-hmm. something like that. But this is just... It's Way spicy beef. Is it yeah. spicy pork? What is that? Spicy the chorizo. Chorizo. Oh, yeah. chorizo. It's, it's Mexican chorizo. So this is this. Holy moly. Mexican chorizo, Admiral. Yeah, it speaks It speaks to the neighborhood. So Feng Tu literally translates to uh, hometown cooking culture. That's how my grandfather mm. described it. Mm. And New York is our hometown, and our neighborhood is the Lower Lower East Side. And on Henry Street, I walk over and in the morning buy fresh wide noodles. And then I'll walk up to Essex Market and pick up Mexican chorizo. And so this dish, it's, it's really emblematic of who we are and where we are. Um, and the flavors just work. So the shishito peppers and then soybean sprouts. These are very fresh. And, and, they and usually in Chinatown, well, I'm not going to pick on Chinatown, but usually they're, they're less than fresh, right? And they're big and sort of clunky. These are beautiful, fresh, small. You can really taste them almost in the back of your nose with shishito. Because this is really... Modern Orchard Street, right? This is everything. This is like it's the comfort of Chinatown, but it's you have chorizo, you have sort of cl- more climate. It's, it, it's all mixed together in this wonderful bag. And this is, I could eat uh, several bowls of that. Although I'm on a diet, so <laughs> well, I don't know what I did. I'm in a daze now. All right. Well, we have two other things. What do you call it? Actually, what's it called? Wide rice noodles with chorizo, soybean sprouts, celery, and shishito peppers. That's pretty straightforward. Yeah, pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah. And what's the egg roll called? Uh, pork belly egg roll. What's your most popular dish at the restaurant? What you're going to eat next. Oh. The smoked and fried dates stuffed with duck. So it's a, it's sort of a little, looks like a little nugget of sort of porky joy. So tell us about it. So they're midgeville dates that are poached with oh, soy damn. sauce and star anise. Damn. Carry it's like on. the best thing I've ever eaten. <laughs> yeah, he's, I told you he's prone to hyperbole being a child of the internet. Anyway, carry on. Um, the dates are poached and then they're pitted and peeled. And then we smoke smoke them over applewood chips, and then on the side we have we comfy duck legs, and then the duck legs are shredded. They're seasoned with some garlic chives and soy sauce, and then um, shredded into like a riette essentially, and then it's piped into these smoked dates. The do- dates are dredged in buttermilk, floured, and then fried. So Just a few. We're not even steps. talking about Chinese food anymore, sort of. 
We're talking about something different. Yeah, so it's un, it's not necessarily recognizably Chinese. However, it goes. This goes back to the inspiration for this comes from a story a relative told me. Uh, this relative grew up in Shanghai pre-cultural revolution, and he described a street food dish that was black smoked dates stuffed with red bean paste, coated in egg, and then fried. And that stuck in my mind. You know. I, I assume he was talking about jujubes, and like in the dry goods stores in this neighborhood, one can see like these black <laughs> smoked jujubes. Um, but I really haven't worked with them that much. I'm more familiar with medjool dates, so that's the direction I went. And somehow it tastes like American barbecue: sweet, smoky, salty. Well, you have that kind of fruity smoke. It's from the apple, right? It's, I mean, you get all of that. It's got. I'm saying bacon, but it's really not bacon. But that's the smoke you taste. It's mm. sort of fruit, like you're saying, the fruity, smoky, and also like. American Chinese food, all of the uh, quote-unquote ethnic foods that are imported to this country are undergo these changes for the American palate, and they generally become heavier, more durable. General Chow's chicken comes to mind, which is like, who doesn't like General Chow's chicken? It's one of the great dishes in the world, but it's designed to be delivered uh, and to really cook in this in, in a plastic container and it, it will it can survive essentially nu- a nuclear winter i mean it's like <laughs> it's like the new york pizza slice it's extremely durable but and travel the, the reality is as we all know is that chinese cuisine is 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 uh, this uh, uh, it's a festival of different kinds of flavors and mm. ingredients and china is extremely diverse country with all kinds of cuisines all over the place and mm. you know you're getting back in touch with that yeah yeah that's a big part of what i've tried to do it's a means for me to explore my culture and heritage. Which is the beauty of food. All right, so let's try the last one. This looks like, this looks to me like chicken Fried wings. chicken. Looks to me like chicken wings. It's also good for my Ooh. diet, but I'm gonna eat it anyways. <laughs> so the first thing I hit you with these is the mustard. So you know it's not normal wings, because you get, I mean, you smell it as soon as they come out of the kitchen. It's mustard and there's coriander on it. Uh, what's going on with it? It's oh. a spicy mustard chicken wing, and it's, it's a nod to the weird hot mustard that is found in American Chinese restaurants. A um, little packet. A little packet. Nobody uses. Yeah. What do you put that on? Yeah, I, I, I've always asked that question myself. Okay. So hot mustard, and then uh, a good friend of mine is uh, an advocate of South Carolina-style mustard barbecue sauce. So um, we, he made it for me once, and I was like, oh, I love this sauce. It involves beer, and it involves all sorts of fun stuff. Um, so the sauce is a mashup of that ubiquitous American Chinese hot mustard and uh, South Carolina style mustard barbecue sauce. So it's a, it's buffalo wings uh, that are ch- both Chinese and from Carolina and from all over the place mm-hmm. done at a, at a high level of, of technical um, uh, expertise. What's not to like, Admiral? How many stars? Uh, 500 stars. 500 <laughs> no, I'll stars. Tell you, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. No. Yeah. I mean, they're right here. I'm not going to say what, what am I going to say. I'm like, yeah, but they'll be, be attacked. All the dishes are delicious. Uh, the one that I would order and eat all the time is the chow fun, the noodles. I'd order that. I'd eat it for lunch, breakfast, dinner. I'd eat it cold. I'd eat it hot. And then I like the date, uh, the duck date, but I'd eat that occasionally. And then I'm eating this ring roll once every four months. And then I'm eating the wings when I'm watching football. What about you? i got to give those dates number one, I think. I could just pop those all day. I'm not on a diet, so I'm a little <laughs> less concerned about their caloric uh, count. You, uh, call me when you've eat, after you've eaten your fourth. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank well, you, guys. It was a very informative. Thanks for Thank having you. us. All right. 
Um, I kind of want to keep beating. Here we go. I got to do this. That's it for uh, this week's Grub Street podcast. Thanks, as always, to the Panoply Network, um, as well as to our hosts today, Wilson Tang and Jonathan Wu, uh, who could not have been more hospitable and kind. For our producer, Sam Digman, and for Adam Platt, who is stuffing his face with peppered noodles right now. I'm Alan Sitzma. Uh, thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Uh, make sure you leave us a rating in iTunes. If you like this comment, tell everyone how great it is. And uh, we'll see you here in two weeks. Bye.